Tonight, let's open those up to the book of 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 3. We'll finish up the chapter tonight. It's a plan. But before we get started, let me just say another word of prayer and ask the Lord to bless our time of study here tonight in His Word. Father, we do thank You for Your Word to us, God. We're so grateful to have Your Word to study and to receive inspiration. Lord, You have uh, made Your Word alive. The Bible says that the Word of God is active. It's alive. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It's able to go in and really divide the issues of life. It goes right into our hearts, God, and reveals our intentions and speaks into our heart and conscience. And It's more than just knowledge, Lord. It's spiritual life, food. So we would ask that you would speak to us tonight, God, as we look here in the book of 1 Timothy as you gave instruction through the Apostle Paul to Timothy, the pastor there at Ephesus, and giving him instruction on how to manage and handle things. In the... And Lord, believe that those things are still relevant today on things that would uh, cause us to grow and mature in your, in your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we picked it up last week with um, the Apostle Paul starting to speak about uh, the deacons. And we finished up uh, two categories of people here that the Apostle Paul is talking about. He's talking about bishop, or that word better translated today as an overseer, someone that would be a leader, pastor possibly, and someone that would have spiritual oversight in the life of the church. The Apostle Paul gives instructions on qualifications for those that would, uh, would desire that, those that feel called to that. These are the things that that the Word of God would require of their lives and conduct. And he goes on to talk about deacons, and we kind of began that topic last week, and I'll just kind of refresh your memory. That word deacon really translates just servant, those that are called to serve in the church. So these would be not necessarily uh, pastors or teachers, but anyone that has an act of service in the church. It could be those that usher, it could be those that work with children, it could be those who work on sound, anyone that, that has a servant ministry in the church. And as I mentioned last week, really all of us are called to be servants in the, the local body of Christ. All of us have been called to be servants for the Lord. So this is not uh, just for those uh, that are called deacons. Really, this, these category, these characteristics should be prevalent in the life of all believers because all believers are called to serve. But the Apostle Paul is also singling out individuals that have been set aside. All of us, although all of us are called to serve, some may rise to certain positions within the church and be held as kind of examples, role models of those that would serve in the church and would become, in a sense, leaders by example in the way that they serve the church. And so the Apostle Paul gives some qualifications for them as well, and we want to start uh, working our way through that that list, and I believe it starts here in 
verse 8. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons being found blameless. He starts off there the list with reverent, and reverent is worthy of respect. Here's the thing about um, ministry in the church. It's not something that happens because someone gives you a title. Oh, you know, we, we want to we give you a title, a position in the church. We're going to raise you up and make you a pastor. We're going to raise you up and make you a deacon. What ministry is supposed to be about is it's already happening in the life of the individual. And really what the church does is kind of comes alongside and acknowledges or recognizes what God is already doing through the life of these individuals. And uh, I remember, you know, when, when uh, there was a number of us back when we were, I was attending at Calvary La Mirada, and a kind of a formal time, we were gonna, they were going to assign some role of pastors and some elders and deacons. And I can remember that, that, that word coming from Pastor Brian saying, We're, these, these are not people that are going to all of a sudden become new people in the church. These are people that are already functioning, already really being looked to by the church. People already look to these people with a sense of leadership, a sense of respect. And the title is simply an acknowledgement of what God is already doing. Because man, you know, we can't... Spiritual leadership isn't handed out with titles or name tags. It's something that God works in the heart and through the life. And really, the church just kind of acknowledges that. So when Paul says they must be reverent, they must be honorable people, worthy of respect, men of dignity, this is not something you can teach. These are not qualities that you, you now ask people, hey, I want you to start becoming worthy of respect. No, it's something that's already going on in the character, already taking place in the life. And then the church merely comes alongside and acknowledges what God is already doing. So, reverent, not double-tongued, saying one thing to one and another to someone else. We want to be consistent, men of our word, honest, not given to exaggeration, not given to uh, gossip or, uh, you know, like I said, this saying one thing to ex be accepted in one setting and saying something totally different. We need to be men of our word, not double-tongued, not given to much wine. We covered this earlier. It was one of the topics given also for the office of, of the bishop or overseer up in verse 3, not given to wine. We covered that. I won't go in detail, but briefly to recap it. Uh, not given to much wine. This is that, that w an individual would not be addicted to wine, would not be preoccupied with alcohol. The Bible does not require complete abstinence. However, the Bible does speak often about uh, warnings against abuse. And the Bi Bible would certainly stress moderation. That's at, at, at the very, very minimum, that would be the, the biblical exhortation concerning the use of alcohol. That it would not be something, would not be something that someone does on a, an addictive basis, preoccupied with it, always looking forward to it, always needing it in their lifestyle. 
However, it does not, the Bible doesn't teach, at least not from my perspective, it doesn't teach complete and total abstinence. We talked uh, a couple weeks ago about how the wine and the culture of when this was written was probably different than the, the wine of our day, probably uh, less alcohol content and was probably used often as a substitute because there, there wasn't really good uh, drinking water available. So there's some cultural things there to consider. But it's hard to make a biblical case to say, you know, total abstinence is an absolute requirement of Scripture. I, I can't really say that it is. However, moderation with strong warnings against abuse would definitely be the case. And we also mentioned, and I'll mention it again tonight, the whole idea of um, being sensitive to the conscience of others. And that's a whole study in Romans chapter 14. We won't look there, but basically the idea is we need to manage our lives with um, and our conduct and the things that we do, even though we may feel like we have certain freedoms we, we need to be sensitive not just to what we're free to do, but also how what we do affects others. Careful concern for others. And um, you know that in some, so many cases, alcohol has been so abused and is such a, a destructive force in lives and families that you don't want to be ca- we don't want to become casual with our alcohol use causing someone else to stumble, someone else thinking, you know, well, gee, you know, if... If the worship team is out drinking wine after church and at the bar drink, putting down a few beers, I, I guess, you know, maybe my, my bout with alcoholism wasn't all that bad. I guess I can start to drink again, too. So you have to be sensitive. We don't want to be causing others to stumble. There's a whole principle. And that's not just with alcohol, but with anything that uh, we might enjoy as Christians. We need to be sensitive to how what we're doing is affecting other believers around us, younger in the Lord, some that have different struggles and care and concerns, we need to be sensitive to them. And as like the Apostle Paul said, I don't want to do anything that would cause someone else an offense or cause them to stumble. I would rather do without than you know practice some liberty that might cause someone else to stumble spiritually. So I, I think the use of alcohol there, there's some clear guidelines and some clear warnings, moderation, consideration of others, and um, certainly not to be abused, drunkenness, addictive, preoccupied with. Those are things that cannot be in the life of someone that wants to be used in service as a deacon. Not greedy for money. Something else we also covered in pretty good detail last time when we talked, looked at it there. And it's another quality concern uh, with the bishops also for the deacons. Oftentimes, deacons are those that may end up handling money for the church. You know, as you know, we do take an off, we have an offering basket on Sundays, and you know that money has to be handled and counted. And those that that manage that, we trust those people to do that, and we we know that they're not greedy for money, that they're not tempted to to uh, you know take some of the offering and and uh, like like Judas. Most most of you know the story of Judas, right? Judas who was the he kept the money for Jesus' ministry. The Bible says that he was dipping into the money for himself. He had this weakness in his own life. He was greedy for money, and he was secretly taking money from the ministry. And when he actually betrayed Jesus, remember, he did it for money, love of money, and he was greedy for money, and that was a root that the enemy used 
to tear down his ministry and destroy him as an individual. Holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience, there in verse 9. Holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. What is the mystery of the faith? Well, remember, uh, this whole idea that God would come in the person of Jesus Christ and die for the sins of the world, both Jew and Gentile alike, this was a mystery up until the time that it was proclaimed after Jesus was resurrected. Prior to that, the Jews were believing that, that God was really only interested in them as a people, not the Gentile world, that, that was salvation was not available for anyone but the Jews. And they were also looking for an earthly kingdom, that when Jesus came, when the Messiah would come, they did not anticipate the Messiah would have to die on a cross and then be resurrected. Remember, that's why the disciples were confused. What? Jesus, you're, gonna, you're the Messiah. You're not going to die. You're going to come and establish the kingdom. You're going to restore Israel as the, you know, the rightful God's people and rulers on the earth. The days of Solomon returned again. We're going to reign, as, and we want to reign with you. And Jesus said, no, I have a different path. I have a different cup that I will have to drink. And it's this baptism of death that he spoke about. That was a mystery. It's not a mystery to us, but it was at that time. Now it's been proclaimed, it's been revealed. And so what Paul is saying, that those, are in deacon, that, those that are uh, desired to be deacons, they must hold this mystery. They must understand now the full meaning of the gospel. It was fairly new at this time, right? Paul was still proclaiming this new mystery. And much, much of the Jewish community was still kind of shocked by the whole idea that, that God was inviting all nations salvation, all the gen that Jesus had died for Jew and Gentile alike. So you can't have, you can't be doing leadership and not understand this full mystery. We might today, we might look at prejudice. And that's what, that's what was going on in a lot of the Jewish heart. They had a, a prejudice against the Gentiles. So that's not appropriate for someone that wants to serve and be in leadership in the church, right? You've got to hold to the, the, the mystery. You need to embrace the full gospel, all that God has for all God's people. You want to serve in leadership? You can't be selective about people. You can't hold uh, any kind of prejudice in your heart. That would also be, I believe, encompassed in this idea of holding to the mystery of the faith. That it would be done with a pure conscience. And I think that speaks for itself. Nothing in your own heart condemning you. Nothing in your own heart. Uh, no secret kind of secret life going on. You have, your heart is clean. You believe that you know, you're walking before the Lord in faith. It's a living faith without hypocrisy. He also says that these men should be tested. Let these also first be tested. Then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. This is where a lot of people, this is one of the steps that a lot of people don't want to take um, when it comes to ministry, when it comes to being used in the church. They don't want to take the steps that it might take to get there. They just want to be there. Oh, I'm, I just, you know, feel called to do this. Well, we need to get to know you a little bit. You know, we used to, we still, I mean, I, I know 
for a small church, it's a little easier for us to kind of know one another and and understand you know, where you are spiritually. We can kind of a little bit better feel about where you are. But I remember, you know, in serving in a larger church, people would come in and want to be, you know, oh, I, I want to be a part of the worship team. And I, you know, I've got a voice. I used to sing and this and that. And well, okay, how long have you been coming to the church? Well, I've been here, you know, two weeks. And I'm, I'd really like, I love the music and I'd like to be a part. Well, that's a good desire. There's nothing wrong with that. But you've only been here for a couple of weeks. We don't really know you that well. We don't want to just kind of put you up in a leadership position up in front of the congregation and have you involved in ministering to the congregation until we have a little more track record with you. So we would just had kind of a standard policy that, you know, you needed to be in the church for at least six months, fellowshipping, part of the body, people get to know you, and, and then we would be more than willing to have you serve and join the worship team. You know, if it, if after that time of testing, if you will, it turned out that you know you, it looked like you, you were a good candidate for that. A lot of things happen over time. A lot of people get excited and can be really good, faithful Christians and a faithful part of a church for a little while. It's difficult to do it long term, right? I mean, this is not just true in Christianity. This is true in how many have you worked with people and employees come out of the gate wow what a great new employee for a little while <laughs> but over time and not just a couple of weeks but a couple of months in some cases even a few years you know you get a little fuller picture of the character right how well do they do in pressure times how well do they do when you know they don't agree with what you've asked them to do you know if they're an employee you know oftentimes it just takes time before you really are, learn the character. And that's, that's the concept here. Let, don't just put people quickly into a place of, of leadership. Oh, sure, you want to serve in the children's ministry? Sure, you know, next Sunday you're there. No, I mean, we, we, like to, we want to encourage people to serve, but we also want to have a sense of, you know, that there's some quality here, you have some integrity about you, you you've been with us, around with us long enough, you're a part of us, you're, you're not, wrestling with the teaching, you're in agreement, you're fellowshipping, and, and just sometimes being in the ministry there is a testing that goes on, and in some cases we might give someone a smaller responsibility and see how they do with that, and then grow them from there. We've had even just small jobs, somebody that we gave the responsibility of taking down the banner after the Sunday morning service, because this person wanted to serve, oh, I want to be a part, I want to help, I want to, okay, here's one thing that you can do, this would be a nice Nice thing. After Sunday, we have the banner out there. It's supposed to come down before the first Christian service starts. We'd like you just to do that. Well, the person did that for a few weeks, but then, you know, it kind of fell off. So that's a, a perfect example of someone being tested. And, you know, it's, it's not that they're not, we wouldn't open up more opportunity for them in the future. But today, um, and I'm not singling anybody out. I'm not going to mention any names, but I'm just giving you the, the, kind of a, an idea of what the apostle is saying here. People need to show themselves faithful. This is God's church. These are God's people. We don't just you know, treat it lightly. Oh, yeah, we're so desperate for helpers in the church. We'll, just, we'll take anybody, anybody that will do anything. No, we won't. <laughs> this is God's church. I would rather do without than put somebody that's not ready in a place of service. I would rather, that's just something we won't do. That's just something we won't have yet. We'll have those things when God raises up 
the qualified leadership and spiritual maturity for people that can do those things. Let them first be tested. And so often, that's a step people don't want to take. They want to get into a place of leadership quickly, and that sometimes will reveal their heart right there. You don't understand ministry is about service, not about notoriety and having a position. So let them be tested and see how they do. Let them Then let them serve as deacons after they've been found blameless, after their, their time of testing has proven to be um, valid. Verse 11, Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. There's a couple of views on this verse, and I want to give you just a, a little bit of why the interpretation on this verse sometimes it varies. King James translates it, Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Kind of the obvious reading there. Well, we're talking about deacons. Also, there's a, verse 11 must be talking about the deacons' wives. And that may be true. That may be the right understanding of this passage. But there is no mention of the, the bishop who actually holds a higher place of position in the church. There's no mention about their wives. So we have to ask ourselves, why? Why, did the apostle, why was the Apostle Paul concerned about the deacons' wives but not the bishops' wives? It's a good question, right? Well, that's why some have been led to believe that this doesn't really refer to the wives of the deacons, but rather it's talking about women who aspire to be deacons or serve in the church as well. Some would interpret this to be talking not about the deacons' wives, but about deaconesses, women that would aspire to be <coughs> used in the same role of leadership as the deacon. And... If we look at this, I'll give you a couple of reasons why this might be, that might be the right interpretation. I don't know if you, I, I have the New King James Version. And in the New King James Version, in most versions you'll find this, there'll be some words that are italicized. So if I, if I don't read the italicized words, then my verse 11 reads this way. Likewise, wives be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Wives meaning women. And the, that word wives doesn't necessarily mean the wife. It could also refer to just women. The, the New American Standard interprets the same word, women. Likewise, women be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. So it may be that verse 11 is really speaking to women that aspire to serve as a deaconess in the body. And that's a possible interpretation. When it comes to the bishop or the pastor, overseer of the church, we believe that Paul is speaking to the men, and we believe that that's an office reserved for the men. When it comes to deacons or those that, that serve under the, the, the pastor, under the, the spiritual leadership of the church, we believe that that in this verse, it's possible that Paul is speaking now to the women, not the wives of the deacons, but women who aspire to be servants, such as deaconesses. Or is that the right way to pronounce it? Deaconess. And I'm, I'm telling you why. So um, there's a little bit of room for interpretation there. Um, 
the word wives means women, that there and must be that. Those italicized words, those are words that are inserted. They're not in the actual Greek text. Those are words that have been inserted to help make the sentence flow and make sense. That make, am I making sense? So those words are there, and they're all through the Scripture. Otherwise, the, it would all be broken English. Those words need to be put in to help make coherent sentences for us in English. But it seems that the, that the King James interpreters are assuming that they're talking about the wives of the deacons, and that may not be true. It may be more talking to specifically women that desire that, that same office. There is a passage, you don't need to turn to it, but in Romans 16 and verse 1, Paul commends a woman by the name of Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Centuria. And that word servant is the same word translated deacon, diakonos. That's the Greek word. So it, it, if we use the same word deacon, Romans 16.1 would say, I commend you to Phoebe, our sister, who is a deaconess of the church in Centuria. So the Apostle Paul certainly gives that kind of title to women in the church, and it may be that he's speaking to, the, to women in that context here in verse 11. Either way, either way, the truth is um, women are certainly able to hold spiritual uh, positions in a church where they can serve, not necessarily as pastors overseeing the spiritual oversight of a church, but certainly positions where they can serve in ministry children ministry we have worship women that serve in the worship ministry uh, we have you know a number of offices uh, if you will available for women to serve so uh, it's not just men and only men that can serve in any kind of ministry in the church no men and women serve in the church so this is a good a good passage for that speaking to the women as well they also and if he's speaking to the wives of the deacons well then that, that's also consistent with the idea that uh, those that have leadership and ministry in the church need to have their households in order. So that would make sense too. So I'm giving you kind of both views on that. And I'm, I'm comfortable with either one because I don't feel like either one is in conflict with other passages. So verse 12, Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. We covered some of this, that idea of husbands of one wife, that those deacons would be a one-woman man. It's talking more about the idea of a moral purity, not necessarily a marital status, but more of moral purity is being stressed. A one-woman man, and we covered some of the issues on that when we talked uh, a couple of weeks ago concerning uh, the bishops or overseers, ruling their children and household, managing their home and family life, so important for those that are going to serve in the church that they also um, are spiritually uh, together in the home. And those who serve well, those who serve well obtain a couple of things. They obtain, first of all, good standing. That's with God and with men. To be a blessing is a blessing. Not in a prideful way, not something that you're striving for. Oh, I, I want to have good standing. But it's just something, that's the reward of serving well, 
in the house of God. It's not necessarily sought, but it is obtained. And there is a blessing. There is a blessing in being used by the Lord in the church. And it is something that should be desired, not not for pride's sake, but, oh Lord, to be pleasing to you. This is my desire, Lord, to, to be pleasing unto you. I want to be useful to you, Lord. You've done so much for me. You've been so good to me. When you, when you understand the goodness and the grace of God, there, it, it should just be almost like a, a, reflect, uh, a, a reflex reaction. Oh, God, I want to be a blessing to you. I want to be, offer my life in service to you. Not to somehow earn your favor. I already have your favor in Christ. But in response to that favor, I want to be pleasing. That makes sense? Not, oh, i gotta, I got to please the Lord so he doesn't get angry with me and I'll, uh, he might, you know, I might fall out of favor. No, God's love for you, your favor before God is not that fragile. You're, you're secure in the Lord for those that, are, that love him and your, your heart is right with him. He loves you. He's merciful. You know, you had a bad day. Oh, I blew it. Oh, God. You haven't fallen, you know, from grace. It can happen, of you know, a determined will to reject the Lord. But those that are, those that are really trying to walk with the Lord, you're, you're, you're in His favor. The idea of service is not never out of guilt or out of trying to earn something, but it's a response to the grace and goodness of God. Wouldn't, wouldn't you want to please a God that's been so good to you? Is it really that? Is it really a burden to serve a God who's been so gracious? What is it? Whatever, Lord, whatever you need, whatever you ask, wherever, whoever, whenever, Lord, I, I'm yours. You, you have, uh, you've been so good to me. I want to be a blessing to you. Those who have served well, you obtain a good standing. And that is a good standing with the Lord. And that's something that I, I desire. I think you would too. Also great boldness. There is a confidence that comes as you begin to be used by the Lord. When you see God's grace at work, it brings a greater confidence in His work. And this is true about ministry and serving. When, when, when you have that opportunity to have been used by the Lord, I don't know if you've ever, some of you have tasted that, some of you maybe not in any great detail yet, but ultimately God wants to flow His grace through your life. And I'm telling you, when that happens... It, it, there is a surge of spiritual energy and confidence, and you, all of a sudden, you, it's like you, you get it. Wow, God used me. God is, God is willing to use me. My life can be used by the Lord. And there's, that, that's, that's, that's a confidence builder for your own life spiritually. If you're, if you're continually weak spiritually, take a look. Maybe, maybe you just need... God's grace to flow through you to build even your own spiritual confidence. Paul says, deacons, you that serve well, not only do you get a good standing with the Lord and with men, but also there is great boldness that comes into your heart. Great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's close this now tonight with these last couple of verses. The Apostle Paul kind of concludes his thoughts now and he kind of reminds Timothy, look, Timothy, here's why I'm telling you all this. These are the reasons I, I want you to be so careful in the way that you set up spiritual leaders in the church. These things I write to you, 
though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself, where? In the house of God. Whose house is it? God's, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. The Apostle Paul just kind of almost says a little thesis. Timothy, here's why I'm writing these things to you. I want you to understand how to conduct yourself and how others are to conduct themselves in the house of God. And why is that so important? Because the house of God is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground or support of the truth. The church belongs to God. And the mission of the church, if you will, is to be a pillar and support of the truth. Here's God's plan for the planet, the church. This is the, the vehicle that God has chosen to represent himself to the world through his church. Body of believers come together, empowered by the Spirit, instructed by his word, loving one another, living out their Christian lives in their local communities, wherever that may be. That's God's planet. That's God's plan for the planet. It is his planet too, by the way. (laughs) That's his idea. And one of the great missions of the church is to be the foundation for truth. That's why we teach the Bible. That's why we are that's why one of our primary missions as a church is to teach and proclaim the Bible. We believe the Bible to be God's truth. We believe that it is God uh, inspired. We believe that it is our duty as the church to be preaching God's word. These are things that have to be contended for. The church is not to be a, 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 a just a social place. It's not just to be a place even even where we do good things, although Good things are a part of what we do. Feeding the homeless. That's a, that's a wonderful ministry, benevolence ministry. Many churches have that. It's a wonderful thing. I think you know, that, that is a good Christian act and a, and a way to represent Christ to those that are in need, right? But that's not the main reason the church exists, to do you know, social things in the community. The main function of the church is to be the ground and support for the truth. It's God's church, and he wants his truth preserved. It's God's truth that ultimately transforms lives. You know you can, and and don't misunderstand me, you know you can feed a homeless man, and he will be hungry tomorrow, right? And and, and you may satisfy his hunger today, but you haven't touched his soul. You haven't saved him from his sin dilemma with God. What can do that? Only the truth of God's word. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ultimately, and and sometimes we do, we need to reach out and touch people physically first before we can minister to them spiritually. But our primary responsibility, and that's what Paul is saying to Timothy, that's why all, you know, such a, a 
a list of qualifications. That's why we're careful who we put in a minute. You know, anybody can feed the homeless, but not anybody can be, be spiritually responsible in the church. They have to have a lifestyle of conduct. They have to be apt to teach. They have to, be un, they have to understand the word. They have to be able to rightly divide the word. We want to be, continue to preserve truth in the church. This is God's plan for the church. It is the mission and the message. The message is verse 16. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. As I mentioned to you before, that mystery now being revealed, that which was hidden now is being proclaimed. God was manifested in the flesh, that is, in the person of Jesus Christ, completely justified in the Spirit. He was without sin. He was seen by angels. He was preached among the Gentiles. He has been believed on in the world. He has been received up in, uh, in glory. The message of the church is Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, crucified, resurrected, believed on in the world. We preach Christ. This is the function of the church, to preach Christ, to proclaim Jesus Christ, to proclaim that to all men everywhere that God is reconciling men to himself through Christ. That's our message. Our mission is to defend and support this truth. And that's why we have to be careful. You know, there's so many things going on today being called church and, and a lot of different ideas about how we might do church and a lot of man's strategies being introduced, marketing strategies on how to better market the church. You know, we've got all kinds of clever ideas and some of them are, you know, just practical things and I don't think there's really any harm in them. But that's not our mandate. Our mandate isn't to market church. Our mandate is to preserve truth. Our mandate is to be the, the house of God, the pillar and support of the truth, that we would preach Christ, that we would give people something more than just a, a, um, a social help, but a spiritual help. And the only thing that can do that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said this, if you'll seek first the kingdom, all these other things will be added. Remember, and he, was, he was talking about, why are you worried about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, you know, what, where you're going to live, all the things that you worry about in the world. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these other things will be added. I think if we, if we do the, the first things first, a lot of the other things will take care of themselves. You want to know how to impact a family? Get them saved. Bring them to Christ. That will, that will sober them up. That will get, get a family on its feet. That will reconcile a marriage. That will rescue children. That will transform a household. These are the things that, that have lasting effect in the lives of people. The gospel, the word of God. This is why it's so important that we teach it, that we, that we uh, support it. And defend it at times if we must. But that's our mission as the church. And this is Paul's instruction to Timothy. So it's, our, it's his instruction to us. It's God's instruction to us as well. This is his, uh, his plan. This is his idea. We don't need to fix it. Oh, God, you're so, you're so old-fashioned, God. We have so many better ways, better ideas now of how we're going to kind of get people, um, you know, helped. No, I think God's plan is still the best. 
Um, I had a I went to a pastor's conference, or not a conference, just a luncheon here last week, and it was so refreshing. And I'm closing t- tonight, you know, but so refreshing. I heard uh, we watched a video. Uh, pastor Chuck Smith was videotaped as he was speaking to uh, the Bible College in Marietta, and he was just it was kind of um, passing on some of the ministry philosophy and some of the things. Here's a man who's been in ministry, you know, I don't know. 50 years, and all the things that he's seen, that all the the winds of change that have blown in and out of the church, and he's just, you know, continued to do what God's called him to do, and how God's blessed his ministry, and all the hundreds and really thousands of Calvary chapels that have gone out and been planted all over the world, just a, a wonderful move of God, and it was, just, it was so refreshing just to hear him say, you know, we... <laughs> What's your secret, Pastor Chuck? Well, you know, our secret is really we just teach the Bible. Our secret is we just we do what the New Testament church did. We teach the Word, we pray, and we fellowship. We just do what God has called the church to do, and He builds His church. He does the work. He, it's, Paul said, whose house? God's house. God's church. His church. We don't have to Oh, you know, help God build His church. We just need to do those things that He's called us to do. And uh, the Holy Spirit has a lot uh, better idea than you and I can come up with. And it was just, like I say, it was just refreshing to hear that. And it just encouraged my heart. Amen. You know, here's why. I'll tell you why. You know, this is a church plant up here. And I, I know I'm five minutes late here. It's a church plant, right? Or small. Okay, look around tonight. Just a little group. I'm really glad you're here, by the way. <laughs> and I don't mean to, to, to sound like I'm disappointed. I am not. I, I love being here with you guys. And this is, this is fine for me. But, you know, you can't help but think, but, Lord, you know, we've got you know, we to gotta, we gotta rock the city. You know, we've got we to gotta get out and, re, you know, what am I going to do? Oh, I must not be doing enough. Maybe there's some, what else can I do? What else, you know, and then, you know, to hear Pastor Chuck say, you know, don't get caught up in any of that. Don't get caught up in any of the programs. Don't get enticed in any of the schemes of how to build and conquer, you know, the world for Christ. Just do what God has given you to do. Do it faithfully and watch the Lord work. Watch God build the church. Watch God bring the lives that he wants into the fellowship. And so I feel, you know, kind of refreshed in that and I feel that some of what Paul is saying to Timothy as well. This is, this just, this is the church of God. Let's support truth. Let's preach His word. Let's do what God's called us to do, and watch Him do uh, what only He can do. Amen. All right. Let me close this in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for tonight's study, Lord, on deacons and uh, male and female uh, being used, Lord, in the church, in the area of service, the qualifications. And we don't take these things lightly, Lord. We recognize that, that we, need to be, we need to be spiritually maturing and growing in our personal walk with you. That's where things have to start, really have to start, so to speak, at home, in our own walk with you. And out of that, as we grow and as we mature, Lord, we believe that you ultimately will begin to use our lives in service of others. 
So help us. Help us, God, to, to have these qualifications built into our spiritual lives in order that we might be, be useful to you, Lord, in order that we might find opportunity to serve in your church. And, Lord, we also just acknowledge tonight that it's your church. It's your church. It's your house. We're your people. Lord, it's your message. It's your plan. It's your strategy. We are merely a part of what you are doing, God. We're not driving the train. We're just on the train. You are the one moving and working. And, God, we are endeavoring just to be faithful. And we're privileged, Lord, just to be a part of it. So we thank you for these things, God, and we ask that you would continue to work in your church and in your house, in this place, Lord, in our lives. And we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.